So once again, as uh, we're going through this message this morning, I, I really want you to keep in mind those stories uh, or the narrative of Jesus being resurrected, uh, the narrative of him appearing to the disciples, to Mary first, and then to the disciples in a locked room, and then later uh, on the side of the, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they're just some beautiful images of this now resurrected Jesus, uh, this now new, in some ways, new body. He's doing things that he didn't do before, appearing in locked rooms. Uh, he's not with the disciples permanently now. He comes and goes. Uh, and and there's still skepticism around it from the disciples. What I want to do is look at Psalm 110 in light of the resurrection. Uh, Psalm 110 is a Mosaic psalm, speaking of Christ before Christ came to earth, but speaking of this time uh, when he triumphs in the resurrection and when he triumphs when he comes again. So the resurrection points us to the, uh, well, he is the firstborn among the dead, so it points us to the resurrection of all all his uh, all all people when all people be resurrected and Christ judges them and those who are his will be brought into his kingdom. That is what we look forward to uh, as we think about his resurrection. Let me read the passage, then we'll pray, uh, and then we'll unpack it. Psalm one hundred and ten. Sure. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, and therefore he will lift up his head. Let's pray. Father, oh, how we need your spirit to comprehend these glorious, majestic revelation that is given to David before Christ walked on this earth, when he was still with you in glory, with you in eternity past. You had a conversation about the work that he will do and accomplish and there were promises made that you have fulfilled and will fulfill, Lord. And, and for us to comprehend this, we need your spirit. For, for David to see and hear this, he had to be taken out of his fleshly self and brought into a place of, uh, who knows, Lord, a revelation, a place of vision or dream or hearing something that is beyond us to comprehend. And Lord, I pray that now as we meditate on the story, the 
way Jesus died and rose from the dead, would we now fix our eyes on him sitting on the throne in power? Would we have a better imagination to grasp? Would we have divine images from the Spirit to understand the ascended Christ who does not sit in weakness but sits in absolute power? And next time he comes, he does not come in peace but with a sword, with a rod of judgment. Lord, we thank you that we are not under that judgment. We thank you that because of Christ being our high priest who mediates on our behalf, who covers us in his blood, we, Lord, stand as your people in holy garments. And Lord, as we unpack these spectacular truths, would you give us a spirit, your spirit of wisdom and revelation to comprehend the complexities of eternity past, eternity future and the present and where Christ sits as, as, he, as he is now. Lord, all glory as we have sung be to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to take a moment to picture the Lord. Picture Jesus in his state at the moment. What images come to mind? What thoughts come to mind as you meditate and ponder the reality of Jesus in his present form. Now, Christ Jesus is one of great complexities. He is or was spirit before the creation of the world. He is with the Father and is co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. He came in the form of human flesh. He is seen as a wild prophet in the wilderness, calling the lost to repent. Saying the kingdom is hit near, repent and come in. We see him as one clothed in the priestly robes described in Exodus. In Exodus. The beauty of them, but also the stain of not of the blood of lambs, but the blood of himself. We have the image in Revelation of a slain lamb, a wounded lamb, yet it doesn't stop there. Jesus, meek and mild on earth, is transfigured and changed when he brings peace to those who will have it through the death and the resurrection. And what we see is no longer a meek and mild Jesus, but a king on his throne the power of a lion. Although he is still the sacrificial lamb, although he is still meek and mild to those who are his, there is a sense and a presence of, a, of this grand king in all his power, in all his might on the throne. And that is what we celebrate in the resurrection. We celebrate in the resurrection that this great Savior is now ruling and reigning. This great Savior who came in a meek and mild form, who came as a sacrificial lamb, who came to uh, teach and to give wisdom, is now sitting in power, in a power that we can't even comprehend. Even if we just look at those stories, stories we just read, in the resurrected body, Jesus was different. He would appear in the middle of a room. 
he would not always be there. He could conceal who he was to people. There is something about Jesus' resurrected body that was different. And this amazing line in John 20 where Jesus tells Mary not to cling to him, for he hasn't yet ascended. There is something about the ascension that was important to Jesus and it had to be fulfilled. He had to go back to be with the Father. So although he has conquered the grave, although he stands there before Mary, he says, don't cling to me yet. I, am, I haven't yet ascended. So who does, she, who does he want her to cling to? He wants her to cling to the ascended Christ, the image of the reigning king on his throne, the image of the all-powerful king of kings, lord of lords, coming with a robe and a tattoo on his leg that says king of kings and lord of lords coming with a sword out of his mouth, coming on a white horse with white hair covered in pure white. Cling to the ascended Christ. Exalt the ascended Christ. Psalm 110 gives us the image of the Christians, those in the time of his power, which we'll unpack, those in the time of the the, the time when his power will reign on earth and people will come freely to him, the Christians are exalting the ascended Christ. Jesus came in the form of a baby and we celebrate that. Jesus came in the form of flesh and we celebrate that. We see him as the sacrificial lamb and we celebrate that. We see him conquering the grave and we celebrate that. But we meditate and we exalt the ascended Christ, the one who sits on the throne, the one who has all power and all might. The Christians worship the fully accomplished work of a mighty king, an ascended Jesus, one who has gone from the earth and dwells in majesty. This is the image we want to meditate on today. The new life that Christ has been given that Christ has given us and the hope of a coming king who doesn't come in peace next time but comes to bring his kingdom to its fullness and with that has to be judgment and war. Let's unpack Psalm 110 and I pray that our hearts will be drawn into the exalting of our Saviour as King. Verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What a moment to catch a glimpse of. That David, this king of old, we looked at him on Friday, who made horrific mistakes but was promised that his heir would be the Messiah, the good king, the king of kings, the one who would fulfil the promises of God gets a glimpse into eternity past. That is, God is eternal. That means he has no beginning. So forever and ever and ever going backwards, eternity past, David got a glimpse into a conversation, the communion of the Father and the Son. What an image to behold. What glory to see that he had, he had the privilege and God had the grace to show him, and not only him, but us in his word, this beautiful plan of redemption. 
this beautiful plan of the glorification of the Lord Jesus and the fulfillment of his kingdom. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the Lord. When you see the capital L-O-R-D, you're seeing a statement or a name given to God, which he uses in Exodus when he reveals himself to Moses, Yahweh. This name was so sacred that the Jews would drop the vows and never use it. So when we're looking through our scripture and we translate it Lord with the capital letters, the word there is Yahweh, a holy name for God, said to David's Lord. That Lord is Adoniah. David's Lord. We see this beautiful picture of the father, Yahweh, speaking to David's Lord. Now, this is profound and significant because David is king in this time. David is king. He is Lord. He is Adoniah. He is the one who all of Israel would call Adoniah. Yet he is referring to someone who is his Lord. Yahweh, God the Father, said to my Lord, he's speaking to someone, he's speaking about someone who he knows is going to be his heir. And we know that when Peter preaches in Acts 2, he says, how can David refer to his son as Lord? How can he refer to his son as Lord? That is that is unheard of. You don't do that. You don't talk to your child and call them Lord. You don't bow down to your children. So the Messiah has to be someone more than just the son of David. That is what Peter teaches in Acts 2 when he's preaching at Pentecost. The Messiah must be someone more than the son of David. And right here we see that David has a glimpse that he's heir. That the heir of his throne, and it's centuries later, Jesus was also the same one that was with the Father in eternity past. We see his sovereign plan laid out, the promises of the Father to the Son, that your, I will make your enemies your footstool. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So David is seeing this, this beautiful plan of the Father and the Son saying, I will make you king of all things and everyone that rebels against you, everyone that stands against you will be under your feet. Now, of course, this is imagery. We don't actually believe that God is going to have a, or Jesus is going to have a footstool with just corpses underneath it. It's imagery and it's the power of the image is that someone is below you or someone has been defeated if they're under your feet. And this is the image we've got. Jesus at the right hand of the Father, which means they are equal in power. If you're at the right hand of the King, you are equal in power with Him. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And the promise is, I will make all your enemies a footstool. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15. Then comes the end. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
So what we've got in this divine plan of God is that the son is going to go to earth. He's going to bring in the kingdom. He's going to work it out. And we see that in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 15, that he brings in the kingdom and he delivers the kingdom back to the father. This is the importance of the ascension. That he has fulfilled his mission. He has died and atoned for the sins of his enemies. His enemies he makes his people and he resurrects conquering death and then brings in the kingdom. But it is not done. The resurrection was the firstborn of the dead. But there will be others to be raised to life. Of course, his people will defeat death in his name. So we see this prediction or this twofold prophecy here is that he will go and sit at his right hand. This is speaking of the ascension, that Jesus is going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And as he is resurrected and when he says to Mary, don't cling to me, I haven't yet ascended, means he hasn't yet taken the kingdom to the Father and he ascends to the Father's right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool, that is still to come. Yet... Although we have this certainty that Jesus has defeated sin, death and Satan in the resurrection. So although all his enemies are not yet under his feet, although all of although death still has a hold over our lives and the people around us lives, although Satan is still moving about tempting and luring us astray, we are certain that the ascended Christ will will accomplish what the Father promised he would. So the picture of Christ we have now is he ascended to the right hand of the Father in power, absolute power. He has left, when he went to earth, he left his heavenly glory to take on human flesh. He is now laid aside his earthly flesh and yet gone back to his heavenly glory. He's now covered in that heavenly glory. Our king is on his throne. He is reigning with all authority and power. This is the picture that we get from David as he meditates on this beautiful revelation that he has before it's even accomplished, before Christ has even walked on the earth. David gets a glimpse into the future to say that he will accomplish it. He'll take the kingdom to the right hand of the Father and he'll wait until it's time to fulfill all things. And at some point, which we'll see by the end of this psalm, he will have no more enemies, but they'll be all conquered under his feet. Verse 2, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. It is now that Jesus is ruling. And he's ruling in the midst of a great, a great amount of enemies. Now, this is a hard word to handle for us as humans because we don't want to be seen as an enemy of someone. But who are the enemies of God? Well, we know it clearly says that while we were still enemies of God, he came and saved us. While we were still his enemies. So the enemies of God are all those who live in disobedience. 
a weighty word that says that every person you interact with during the week, if they do not call on the name of Jesus as Lord, they are an enemy of God. So right now, Christ sitting on his throne as king, accomplished salvation for those who are his, uh, resurrected and defeated sin, death and the devil, and is awaiting for the day when all his enemies will become his footstool, when he will, he will uh, destroy and end their, their rebellion and their disobedience. Right now, we live in this time. And it tells us that from Zion, now Zion was the holy hill where Christ or where the Spirit of God dwelt in Jerusalem. Of course, now we see that as heaven. And we're all going to be in Zion with the presence of God one day. Zion. The Lord sends from Zion your mighty scepter, which reveals to us that he's ruling today. He's in control right now of all things. He is bringing different things to uh, completion. We don't know what. We can speculate just like people speculate over COVID-19 and every earthquake or every war that's happened has assumed that this is from God and yes, it is from God. But for what? We don't know. We know that good will come from it. We know that his scepter is like his rod or his staff. The same word can be used there. So we have this image, this image that is drawn, uh, draws us in from Egypt. When Moses with the rod or his staff and Aaron performed great wonders of God brought judgment on the world, on, on Egypt, parted the sea to provide for Israel an escape, broke a rock and water came forth from it to provide water for them. This is the power that we see from the throne of God. He's ruling with his rod and his staff, just as he was ruling in Egypt at that time against a pagan king who thought he himself be God. It's a terrifying picture to think that God is ruling with a rod and a staff. Like he's, he's got this powerful staff. It's, it's judgment and it's war times for God. He's bringing people either to himself or he is going to judge them. Here's the beautiful gift, right? We are blessed because we've called on the name of the Lord. Those who are saved fit into David's other psalm, Psalm 23, which says, His rod and his staff, they comfort me. See, the same instrument he uses to rule with judgment and destroy is the same instrument he uses to comfort his flock. What does that mean for us? It means that his rod and his staff, his scepter, is causing good for us. It may be painful at first. It may hurt in times like this or times that are even worse. And there may be worse for us yet to come. But they comfort us. The rod and the staff that bruises and cuts. The rod and the staff that corrects and pushes back into line, the sheep out of line. It comforts us. So we have this beauty, a beautiful image that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of this war-torn world, although we, we don't believe that it's war-torn, but in the spiritual world it is, of rebellion against God, the enemies of God, he's ruling. 
with great sovereignty and great comfort to those who are his, although it hurts right now. Verse 3 brings us to this place of the current day, our present right now, of the people offering themselves freely in the day of power, in holy garments, from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. This is beautiful. I know it's so confusing because it, it's poetic, but it is, it is an incredibly stunning, stunning picture to meditate on that now in power, because of the death and because of the resurrection, because we now have access to the Holy Spirit, God in power sends forth his gospel. Remember Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power for salvation for those who believe that in this power we can clothe ourselves in holy garments. This is the gospel in Psalm 110, that now that Christ has defeated death, resurrected, gone to ascend, remember he says, it is better for me to go so that you may have the Holy Spirit. He says that to his disciples. The reason he went was so that we now can be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, not just physically in the presence of Christ, but have the Spirit within us and we come freely to the Lord. This is the sovereignty of God in our salvation. That he will change the hearts of his enemies to become his people. Those walking away from him, either deliberately walking in rebellion or apathetically walking in rebellion, they turn their heads around and start walking towards him. This is the gift of new birth. That we, a believer, their whole desires, their mind, their heart, their inward soul, their spirit would change from running away from God and now going to him freely. All of us that call on the name of the Lord would say how much we want to run to him. At one point in our life we would say, oh, I was clearly running from him. But something changed in me that makes me want to be near him, that makes me want to live under his rod and his staff that makes me want to be corrected and disciplined and change the way I live. It's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel that now, in the midst of the enemies, the gospel goes out. In the midst of a great number of enemies, the gospel goes out, transforming hearts and minds, changing their desires from away from God to God and clothing them in holy garments, which we get this beautiful image, is from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. In other words, we will be recreated. John 3, we'll be born again. It won't make sense to us. We don't understand how it happens. It's like the wind, we can't see it, but it takes place in our life. And it is absolutely stunning that we can put aside our worn out, dirty, sinful clothes of disobedience and put on these holy clothes of our King. We're clothed in the garments of Christ. We're clothed in the garments of Christ. It is the image of revelation of the bride that has been given permission to clothe herself in white and be prepared for her bridegroom. This is us. 
the beauty of that. It's the dew of the morning. It's a new day. It's a new start. And as you walk out, you see the glisten on the grass of white frost. And it's stunning. And as the sun rises, the, the light reflects off it and it starts glistening in the sun. Beauty, majesty. It draws our hearts to long to look at these beautiful things. And that is what has taken place in the believer's life in this day of power when Christ is ruling from his throne. The gospel's going out through the church and people are changing their desires to love him. Enemies are changing their desires to love him. What we see here is that holy garments, putting on holiness, is a beautiful thing. Like the dew on the ground, like the joy and the energy of a youth. And the enthusiasm of the youth. It's a beautiful thing. It's not gritting our teeth in legalistic moral moralism, do's and don'ts but rather a desire of wanting to please the one who has accomplished all things for us. The desire of wanting to please the one who has clothed us in his clothes. Oh, the joy and the beauty of holiness in a people freely coming to their king. And of course, we looked at it on Friday We'll just touch on it here in verse 4. It reminds us that Christ is not only our king, but he's our priest. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. So love that line. This is certain. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We see that this is made possible. The reason that we are in a time of power when the gospel's going forth, when the Lord is reigning on his throne, when people are coming freely to him who once were enemies, now are his people. In this moment, the reason that is possible is because Christ is not only our king, but he's also our priest. He mediates for us. We looked at it on Friday. He took on the curse of sin. He took on our sin. He took on our punishment. He took on all things that we were and he gave us who he was, his sonly attributes. Now he says this is in the order of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek was the only one in scripture we see who was both a priest and a king and did them well. And he's mentioned very briefly in Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, he's a mystery man. We don't know his lineage. We don't know where he came from. We know he's the king of Salem. And he comes to Abraham and Abraham makes a sacrifice. And this is the order that Jesus takes over from. Melchizedek was purely a picture of who Christ will be. He is called the king of righteousness, Melchizedek. Well, Christ is the fulfillment of the king of righteousness. He brings together both the priestly attributes mediating between God and man and the king ruling and judging, brings those together in perfect harmony. And Jesus fulfills that. So before Israel was, before Aaron was anointed priest, before the Levites took on the priestly role, Melchizedek was there and he was doing it in a faithful job. Some would say that he was Christ. I don't know if we can go that far, but he definitely points us to a greater priest and king in Jesus. So we put on our holy garments because of him being our priest. He's interceding to the Father for us. 
And here comes the end. We've looked at the present. We looked at eternity past. We've got eternity to come or the future uh, judgment. And it is not pretty for the enemies of Christ. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter the kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. We must stop for a moment and remember and feel the weight of people's rebellion against a holy, holy king. Do we absolutely believe that when Jesus says he's going to shatter the kings, shatter, shatter the kings of the earth with his wrath, he's going to execute judgment and filling the land with corpses? Do we believe that that is a worthy judgment? If his enemies if his enemies out there are all who live in disobedience to him, to, to him who reject the, the gospel, are they worthy of that punishment? I think it's important for us to meditate on this and come to a place where we can say, yes, Lord, it is worthy for you to punish them. You are holy, holy, holy. They have rebelled against you. They are your enemies. They have not repented and believed in the time of power. They have not received the blessing of the death and resurrection of what Christ has accomplished for them. They are worthy to face this kind of wrath. It's a hard one to get to. It's why we need to meditate on the holiness and the beauty of Christ so that when we look at Christ, we're seeing his bigness, his infinite which isn't a word, and the, the small view of man and the wickedness of man. Otherwise, these passages for us will become something we want to change. And there's a great many churches out there that will not preach these words. That Christ is still a baby in a manger, meek and mild. That is heresy. He's defeated death. He's defeated the spiritual world. He has defeated sin. And now he has ascended to his throne and awaiting the day when he'll come and eliminate all who rebel against his name. All who have not called on his name. This is the picture we get in the resurrection. Don't cling to me now. Cling to the ascended Christ. Hold on to the ascended Christ. Know that he's on his throne. Know that he'll judge the wicked. Know that he'll bring judgment upon this world. Know that he'll bring all things to fruition. Know that the kingdom will come in and it will be established in this world. It's strong language. Defeating kings, those who have puffed themselves up, those who have power today will not have power in the end. He'll fill the earth with corpses. Every leader, every chief, everyone that puts themselves up, he'll shatter them. This is the king we worship today. The same king that is so gracious that he went to the cross to claim salvation for his people. 
peace for his people. And he's not righteous. He is not righteous if he does not bring judgment on the world. And the only reason you and me can stand here today and say we will not face this judgment is because Christ chose us to be in him before the world's foundation to the praise of his glory. That's it. It's the only reason. The only reason today we can sit and say, we worship you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. Bring your judgment quickly, Lord. We believe it's worthy. Our image from Revelation. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the wine press of fury. He'll tread the wine press of the fury of his wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he will have the names written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the image of the King we worship today. Cling to the ascended Christ, exalt the ascended Christ. And verse 7 reminds us that this is easy work for him and he will conquer. It says he will drink from the brook of by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is not hard for our king. To bring judgment on the world, he's, as he is in the midst of this execution, as he is in the midst of bringing judgment and shattering kings and filling the earth with corpses, he'll stop by and drink from the brook. He needs not try. He wins. No matter what the earth comes up with, no matter what schemes the kings of this world plan, no matter what imagination they have, he wins with ease. Just like in Acts 12, when the angel of the Lord strikes Herod down and it says, and he fell flat down and there was no need for another. There was no need for another strike. One swift blow. This is the power that our king has. He'll drink from the brook and he'll lift his head in victory. Our priestly king, his head will be lifted high, conquering, reigning, victorious. The one who claims salvation for us, the one who accomplished victory, the one who will judge all men and women. On that day, his enemies will be his footstool. The resurrection wasn't the end. Our king has ascended to the right hand. He rules with ease. His rod comforts us, his people. By the power of the gospel, we are clothed in holy garments. He is coming to bring war and judgment, and he will win. And after all this, revelations finish. Revelation the end of the Bible finishes with the words of Jesus. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And the writer John responds, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. My question on this Resurrection Sunday is, are you waiting for the Lord to come?
Are you wanting him to come? Our ruling, reigning, priestly king. Or has this world got your eyes, ears, pleasures and desires fixated on accomplishing things for this life? Are we still saying with the apostles, with John, come Lord Jesus, come. We want to see your enemies as your footstool. We know that the next life is better. It's okay to have desires in this life. It's okay to enjoy the blessings of this life. But oh, how much better will the next one be? In this time, as we are separated because of a virus and isolation, we cry all the more for the Lord to come. And this may be just the start of suffering. Maybe there's more to come in our life. But in that too, we say, come Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray for us. Oh, my Lord, your plan is firmly fixed in heaven. Your words that were written long ago have been fulfilled in the death and resurrection. There's still some to be fulfilled. But in all that we see in this world, we know, Lord, that you are the faithful one who brings all things to completion. I'm humbled, Lord. Humbled that we gather as a people that are for you. We gather as a people that are clothed in holy garments, clothed in your clothing, seen as holy. Lord, we confess and agree with you that we are unworthy. All goodness in Psalm 16, all my good comes from you. What grace, what mercy, that you would spare anyone considering that everyone was your enemy. And I agree with your word that everyone deserves to be under your feet as a footstool. And you have reserved for yourself a people. Oh, holy God, we love you. We praise you. You are so worthy of worship. Jesus Christ, our King, we give you glory. We cling to you on the throne. We cling to you reigning. We cling to your rod and staff that comforts us, although it bruises. We cling to you, Father. What else do we have to hold on to? What more do we have to hold on to in this life? There is nothing. 
This world has nothing for us. You are our king. You are our treasure. Restore to us, Lord, the joy of our salvation. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. And let us cry in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of blessing, in the midst of want, in the midst of prosperity. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.